Hey, good evening. Welcome to the podcast. This is James. Uh, This is called Live It Out with James Paul White. I'm so glad you could be here tonight with us. Um, We did change up the schedule. Uh, I'm doing a video on Tuesday. I'm doing the podcast on Thursday, and then I'm doing a second video on Saturday. You can find my YouTube videos. Just look up James Paul White. You'll be able to find them pretty easily. Tonight we are covering Matthew 8. Verses 28 through 34, and I am super, super excited to talk about this because it's a, it's an unusual story. Um, I, I will say <laughs> I am influenced a little bit by uh, post-liberal theology or narrative theology. Um, I see the Bible as a collection of stories. Now, granted, I'm on the conservative side of things, and I see them as true stories. And this is what happened, uh, where some of my liberal colleagues will say that, well, this couldn't have happened because of this, and this couldn't happen because of that. And they try to deconstruct things um, in the likeness of Rudolf Boltmann, who I firmly disagree with, because I'm influenced by Karl Barth. So... Let us get to the text. My nice, awesome uh, John MacArthur study Bible. And here we go. I'm reading out of the New King James. When he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergeshins, I hope I pronounced that right, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a good way off from there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And then he said to them, Go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished in the water. Those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. Okay, like I said last week, I'm trying to be more organized. I'm trying to keep uh, from going off on tangents. And I am going to bring, hopefully, three good points here. I want to keep this short, sweet, and simple. Um, We tried to limit it to 30 minutes. So if I don't um, go all the way to 30 minutes, that's okay. As long as uh, it's edifying and encouraging, that's all that matters. So, uh, point number one is that when people are doing bad, they don't want you around. Remember, this is a Jewish community, and they are raising pigs. And obviously, if you know anything about the Old Testament, you know that pigs are considered unclean. And I probably could have gone into more detail about that, but if you really want to learn about it, I would suggest you look it up for yourself. But the whole city wanted them gone. 
in verse 34. Now, I wanted to give you a little bit of something different tonight, so I looked up an old commentary that uh, Charles Spurgeon wrote. And so I'm gonna, I've got a quote from him on each point. Here, uh, he said, this is the old cry, quote, mind your own business, let us alone and go elsewhere. Close quote. You know, when I was a prison chaplain, I knew who the gang members were, the intense gang members, the ones that were actually selling drugs and doing other illegal activities, because those were the guys that weren't coming to chapel. Those were the guys, when I showed up on a unit, they would avoid me. And uh, I knew, I knew who they were, what they were doing. Um, I remember distinctly one guy in particular who was sitting at a table, and I, I was handing out religious oils. And this guy sat there. One guy came up and talked to him, and then he left. And then another guy came up to him and talked to him, and then he left. And then a third guy, and then a fourth guy. I'll come up and talk to him for just a few minutes. And he just sat there. Didn't have to do anything. It's my opinion that he uh, was recruiting for a gang. Did he want to talk to me? Nope. Not at all. Why? Because when people are doing bad... They don't want people who are doing good around them. It's convicting. It's, it's challenging. They see that there's another way. It's a way that they don't embrace. It's a way that they don't like. It's a way that's contrary to their nature. So, now, one of the important things that I've learned from Dr. James R. White, obviously not me. My middle name is Paul. I put that on the YouTube channel and I put that on the podcast so that you don't confuse the two of us. He's obviously a little bit older than I am, but truth be told, he's in much better shape than I am. But he talks about, I listened to his show called The Dividing Line, how the real threat to the church, the most dangerous threat to the church, I should say, is secularism. There are people out there that want to discredit the Christian faith so that then it can justify their sinful behavior. That's just the way it is. Um... Now, in R.C. Sproul's commentary, on the wrong page here, flip back in my Kindle. Um, he talks about, in the commentary on this section of Scripture, and he talks about how 
Martin Luther had to go to the Diet of Worms to defend his 95 Theses, and ultimately he ends up getting uh, kicked out of the Catholic Church. Excuse me. Um, and then he talks about um, part of the reason that um, in today's world, we don't uh, look at uh, demons or think about demons or demon activity is because the church has become secular. And secularism, this is a direct quote from R.C. Sproul, secularism declares that the only thing that exists in this present time is this present in, in this present world. There is no transcendent realm. There is no place of eternity. You live, you die, and that's the end. Secularism is an extension of naturalism, which argues that there is nothing besides the natural, which means there is no realm of the supernatural. Christians say that they believe in God, who is supremely supernatural, but we live, practically speaking, as if there were no God. We live as if there were no beings as angels, the devil, and his legion of cohorts that are called demons. Yet, when we look at the biblical worldview, we see that in scriptures, that the scriptures declare that this universe is inhabited not only by animals and by human beings, but also by created spiritual beings called angels, some of which are good and some of which are <sighs> evil. So, if the secular world can minimize the effect of the church on society, then they can, in effect, um, create a world without God. And that's what they want. Because if there's a world with God, that means that the Bible is relevant. The Bible is God's word. we got to do what it says. But these people don't see it that way. They see it as, um, well, let's just playground where you can do whatever you want, say whatever you want. If it feels good, do it. And um, it's wrong. Um, let's go to point number two. The Jews were raising pigs and selling the meat to Gentiles. I have no doubt in my mind that these Jews lived in a um, area that was dominated excuse me had a lot of Gentiles or it was pretty could have been even predominantly Gentile. It could have been that these Jews were in the minority. Either way, they were selling meat that obviously was not kosher. Uh, Spurgeon had this to say. If they cannot... Uh, about the demons going into the pigs. Quote, if they, have not, if they cannot do mischief to men... They would sooner destroy pigs than to be doing without mischief. Devils cannot, however, even afflict hogs without leave from Christ.
You know, it's one of the things about this story that kind of kind of makes you shake your head. And you're like, wait a minute. Um, why would Jesus allow these pigs to die? Part of the reason is that he was more concerned with the well-being of the people, the, the men that were possessed. I know I wanted to read something else here. No, I already, already covered that. Um, in Sproul's count, R.C. Sproul's commentary on page two twenty-seven. Ah, here we go. Um, he talks about that people don't believe that Jesus is going to be the final judge. They don't believe in a judgment day, and they don't believe in uh, demons. Um, here's what R.C. Sproul had to say. He said, however, few people today believe that there will be a judgment day. The vast majority of the people in the United States of America certainly do not expect a judgment day. How could any person live the way most Americans live and still believe in a judgment day? After all, we kill roughly a million and a half unborn children every year. We raise up armies to engage in a war against terror because terrorists killed about 3,000 of us. But we wage no war against the terror of the womb because we do not fear God's judgment. We simply do not believe that we will be held accountable. The United States is a barbarian country. Now, in the MacArthur Study Bible, it says here, uh, Mark 5.13 adds that there were 2,000 in this herd. Such a large herd of unclean animals suggests that the Gentiles dominated the region. It also suggests that the number of demons was large. It cross-references Mark 5.9. So, you know, I look at something like this where you've got Jews selling unclean meat. I'm thinking in 21st century terms because, you know, when I think of pigs, I think of bacon and sausage and ham and I don't know if that's what they made um, the meat from the pigs into. We have no way of knowing. You know, I can't, I can, I can kind of imagine, I don't even remember when the sandwich was invented. I, I have heard the story of the guy that was called the Earl of Sandwich, but I don't remember the story. And I don't have time to look it up online. Um, but, you know, I could imagine a Roman soldier standing there with a ham sandwich in his, in his hand, eating it while he's on duty. I don't know, for some reason I can imagine that. 
Um, maybe it's because I eat when I chart my visits as a chaplain. I don't know. I do know nurses that literally have to eat at the nurse's station because they're so busy. But just the idea that they would sell a ham or even possibly eat a ham that just blows my mind away I can't believe that they would do that Um, point number three when you do good sometimes people reject you this is hard point because um, no I'm trying to pull the um, comment I sent an email to myself so I, I would get the clips um, from the Spurgeon commentary but it says here a rare occurrence, a whole city meeting Jesus and the city unanimous in their appeal to him. Alas, it was a unanimity of evil. Here was a whole city, a prayer meeting, praying against their own blessing, thinking of having the Lord among them, healing the worst of diseases and yet entreating him to go away from them. They would be rid of one of the one glorious being who could alone who alone could bless them horrible was their prayer but it was heard and Jesus departed out of the coasts out of their coasts he will not force his company on any he will be a welcome guest or he will be gone what a mercy that our lord does not hear every prayer of this sort it would fare how would it fare with swearers if imprecations were fulfilled It's a tough one to think about. They knew what they were doing was wrong. Yet, they would rather kick Jesus out than to turn and repent. That's hard. Now, in R.C. Sproul's commentary, he has this to say. We would think that Jesus would not do anything the demons suggested, but even though he had been given all authority on heaven and on earth, including the power to cast Satan by the finger of God, in order to announce and demonstrate the breakthrough of the kingdom of God. (sighs) Excuse me. It was true that the time of our final judgment was not yet, So he said to them, go. He drove the demons out of the men and they invaded the pigs. You know, I feel led to read the next paragraph, so I'm going to do that. I'm on page 227 of his commentary, R.C. Sproul's commentary. To our modern eyes, this seems politically incorrect. We can find ourselves wondering why Jesus had so little consideration for the pigs as to allow the demons to enter them. Simply put, Jesus had a value system. He believed that animals were made for man. Not man for animals. He did not see whales as more important than onboard babies. The reason that Jesus was sane, not locked in the insanity that is caused by sin. 
Jesus wanted to redeem two suffering men, and it cost the herd of pigs to do it. He did not see that it was too high a cost. So, and then I want to read from the MacArthur Study Bible, which says this. Perhaps they were concerned with the financial impact from the loss of the pigs. More likely, they were all ungodly people frightened to be in the presence of such spiritual power. When you do good, sometimes people reject you. And in this case, they saw the, good, the ultimate goodness inside of Jesus, who was full of love and grace and kindness and compassion. And it was intimidating to them. You know, sometimes, even today. No, it was yesterday. Um, I can't go into det great detail at all about where I work. Just know that I work at a hospital. And I had one guy throw me out of a room. He didn't want me there. And sometimes, well, even as a prison chaplain, I can tell you that people will project their feelings about other people onto you, especially if they've had a minister challenge them in some way. They will cuss you out, yell at you, try to blame you for something you didn't do. Because in reality, they're holding onto a grudge from a grudge that they've held onto for a very, very, very long time. So it says here in R.C. Sproul's commentary, the demons went into the pigs, and the pigs seemed to have become as crazed as the two men had been. Pigs rushed down a hillside and plunged into the Sea of Galilee and drowned. Further on, he says this. I honestly do not know why they asked him to leave. It may have been that they were angry over what had just happened to their economy. There were many swine in the herd. In fact, Mark puts the number of pigs at 2,000. Uh, see uh, chapter 5, verse 13. However, I think it is more likely that the people recognized in Jesus the same thing that the demons saw there, and they wanted no part of him. When Jesus manifested his holy character, people got nervous. They, did not, they saw that the Jesus of reality was not gentle Jesus, meek and mild, which is the popular idea of him. Rather, he was the Holy One of Israel. Confronted by that reality, they wanted him to go away. When you do good, sometimes people reject you. I want to close with a comment from my study Bible.
Here's a comment on verse 34. He says, Perhaps they were concerned with the financial impact of the loss of the pigs. More likely they were all ungodly people frightened to be in the presence of such spiritual power. When you're walking and living like Jesus, sometimes people are not going to receive what you have to say. Sometimes they will reject you. And you'll be like, well, what did I do? I, I, did, I did nothing wrong. I, I'm, I feel like I'm a good person. And that's, that's why. So bottom line is, you know, as we look at this text and we apply it to our lives, um, somebody told me that there's like a 10% rule, like no matter where you go, 10% of the people are not going to like you. You just have to learn to let it go and trust God. I think there's some truth to that. There might be more than 10% that don't like you. And they will go from door to door. <sighs> because they're trying to make disciples of all nations. But just because some people don't like you, that doesn't mean that you're somehow doing something wrong. You could be doing something right. I mean, essentially punished for their, the, I'm not saying this right. You're getting persecuted because because of the fact that you're doing what is right. And that's a hard pill to swallow. But remember this. As much as the press has been talking about COVID, I believe that God has been working behind the scenes to help people get the medicines that they need in order to get well. There are some very powerful antiviral medicines out there. One of them which is called remdesivir. And I hope and pray that it will one day be fully, fully not only manufacturer, manufacturer, I'm very tired, but that they will learn to take the word serious. We have to um, we have to shine and be the light of the world. It's our job as Christians to love people and to just to walk and live as Jesus did, basically. So, anyway, that's the end of the lesson. Uh, we will start in chapter 9. Um, I'm not sure how far I'm going to go in the video, but obviously, wherever I end, I will pick up on the podcast. Now, Saturday, that whole video is about edification. The whole video 
is about sanctification. I know some of you are like, well, I got that big highfalutin language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. I am really tired. I'm going to go take a nap. And then I'm going to. I got some clothes to put away and then I'm going to study. I just want to end with this comment. Um, the channel has not grown as fast as I want it to. And I've wondered why. And I believe that what God has told me is that this is a time for growth. This is a time for me to read books and, um, that's why I got I bought, bought, bought a new Kindle Fire. It's the eight inch instead of the seven inch, and it does make a difference. But the point here is that I'm in a series. I'm in a season of studying and learning and growing, so that when God does open up and more and more people join. And subscribe to the podcast. If more and more people are subscribing to the YouTube channel. That. Uh, you know God willing one day. I'll see people. In Stillwater. Who. Um, Anyway, um, we will start Matthew chapter 9 next week. Until then, uh, I hope you have a great weekend. Uh, I love you guys, especially my subscribers. And I hope you have, a, like I said, a great weekend. Bye.